I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. I hope all is well with you and your loved ones. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Judy Martin. Judy is a full-time professional textile artist in Ontario, Canada. She uses dye, thread, and cloth as primary materials to produce works through stitching these materials by hand. The process is time-consuming, but the healing meditation inherent in the method gives her the vitality to fulfill her large-scale projects. Since 2010, Judy began harvesting and processing natural dye plants from local fields to create her work. Her practice is informed by the aesthetics of simplicity, time, labor, repetition, and the sense of touch. Hello, Judy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and give us a bit of background about how you began your fiber practice? Well, I I live in Canada. I was born and grew up in the Fort Francis area of northwestern Ontario, which is near the center of the continent. It's pretty well in the middle of nowhere. The closest city was Winnipeg in Manitoba. Maybe people know where Winnipeg is. Fort Francis, however, is on the border of the United States. Um, I went to high school in Fort Francis and walked across the bridge to International Falls, Minnesota, so that I could shop at Penny's and purchase cotton fabric because I sewed my own clothes at that time. Since then, I have moved closer to Toronto. I live on Manitoulin Island with my husband. It's um, six hours from the city of Toronto and uh, but it's still very isolated, still considered northern Ontario. It's a very spiritual place where I live. It's inhabited for a long, long time by the indigenous people of Canada. In fact, they say 9,500 years there's human settlement has been confirmed here. So that's quite a long time, older than the pyramids, I believe. Um, and this quiet rural environment is very inspiring for me. I have a view across Manitowoning Bay. Uh, a lovely body of water, and the island itself is in Lake Huron, one of the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States. It's like it's a it's in the middle of the continent, as I said. As far as beginning my fiber practice, um, as I said, I, I sewed all my clothes when I was in high school, and I began. To, I learned how to do it when I was twelve. My mom taught me, and uh, she made her clothes. We lived in a we lived on a large acreage, and she was a stylish woman, so she used Vogue patterns. She recognized how much I loved cloth and fabrics, and sometimes she would buy, uh, she would order these European textile collections of actual swatches of wool and silk and linen to come in, and, and we would pet them, her and I, after school. We never actually bought any of those fabrics, but I I can remember touching them and how my imagination would just bloom up. I just loved the the feel of this luxurious cloth. Touching cloth still sends me into my inner world, actually. Um, And it it has become the subject of my work. 
And can you talk about some of the techniques and practices that you use, how you incorporate hand stitching into your pieces? Well, I make large pieces. And um, I do design them to be as if they're paintings or drawings to look at on a wall. Like I think of my my textiles as artworks for the wall. But they're large enough that you could also use them on the bed. Um, you could use them as a protection uh, cover-up. I began my career in fiber with quilt making, and the idea of covering people in bed is an important part of my the way I think. I love the connection to the life passages that happen in bed, and about how the artwork that I've made might theoretically touch the entire body. The sense of touch is the most powerful of the senses. And I think that the sense of touch is what helps connect my work to my viewers on an emotional level. Um, I've been using abstract shapes uh, a lot recently, such as the circle. I also use the dot, the horizon line, and I usually have a square format. These archetypes ground my work and connect it to ritual textiles across all the cultures and through time around the world. We seem, humans seem to understand these symbols, these circles and squares and, and triangles like a language. And even when we don't really know what, what they mean, we can't define it, we still kind of understand them. It's a universal language. Also, my work takes a long time to complete because it's hand stitched. And hand stitch is very slow and labor intensive. So all this time and all that touch that I put into my work are my main materials. I treat time as a material. That's also evident in my work when I use uh, rescued table linens and wool blankets that have already been used for decades. But as, my, as I said before, it's my subject is the inner world. I dye all my fabrics. I use local wild plants and harvest them in the late summer through October. And uh, because my work is large scale, I dye large pieces of wool or silk or linen at a time. Goldenrod, sumac, willow, and walnut come from my surroundings. And I use onion skins from the kitchen. And I purchase indigo and madder from Maiwa Supply, a company in uh, Canada, British Columbia, Canada. And then after I've got these fabrics all dyed, I do that in the summer. In the winter and spring, I arrange them into simple designs on my design wall. I always work with a wall. I sketch what I've put up I, or my idea, and I sink, and I move the cloth around, and then I sew it, and then I draw it again. It goes back and forth back and forth between the design wall and my sketchbook. The final step is the hand stitching. This is my favorite part because stitching really nurtures my soul. I enter a different state over the weeks of time that go into the piece. Meditative state, joyful state, like I'm high, and I'm also healed. I always feel better after I've stitched for a while. And the stitches I use are simple, they're basic. The main attribute they have is that there's lots of them. Repetition is important in my work. Running stitch knot, French knot, back stitch, couching, 
And I also use reverse applique as a technique and pleating. Mainly, I use the aesthetic of simplicity, both the stitches I use and in the underlying design. Wow, that's really beautiful. And I know that you kind of slightly mentioned the piece that you created, Soft Summer Gone. I'm really interested in hearing more about how you incorporated the natural dyes and wild plants in the dyeing, as well as some of the inspiration behind creating the piece. Yeah, well, that's a good example of what I was saying about the large pieces of silk and uh, wool and linen. This piece is all different kinds of silk. There's raw silk, there's crepe, there's uh, dupioni, and there's uh, really a very lightweight crepe, uh, you know, uh, dress, blouse weight. But it's all silk, and it was all, a lot of it was dyed with goldenrod. So the quilt is mainly uh, yellow, beautiful golden yellow, with a central square that was dyed with mint and um, I believe sumac. So the central square is a different color. And also there's a strip of indigo, kind of to take your eye across the horizon. Yeah, and then, so those are all large pieces. I didn't really cut them up. So the, it's like you're looking at a large field of goldenrod and um, it, it it holds time so much because it holds the time of the whole summer that the plants the goldenrod took to grow and it, then to dye the fabrics as you know probably the to dye to dye takes a long time you have to wait you have to simmer you have to steep and then uh, to stitch it together again that took that took me a year maybe two years to stitch all that stitching um, I'll, I'll uh, there'll be an image I think of that. Eh? Yeah, we'll definitely post an image on our website. Can you kind of talk about your hand stitching specifically? What type of techniques you use? I feel like when I look at your pieces, what's so interesting about them is how many different ways you use your hand stitching. Yeah, that's. Uh... I, I guess they do all use different stitches, but as I said, hardly any different stitches. I, I, I consider myself an amateur in my work because hmm. um, amateur comes from the French word amour, which means love. And I do it because I love it so much. Uh, if I thought too hard about the technique and doing it correctly, I, I wouldn't get nearly as much done. It's just because I've spent so much time doing them that they, they look so good. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> uh, there is one piece that does look a lot like weaving. Uh, and it's, um, I made two pieces with the, with a couched fabric. Uh, I couched strips of fabric so they look like a rag rug. And so there's a great big long piece that's on exhibit right now in the States. It's touring, I think it goes to Ohio next, but I'm not sure. It was just in New York State. Uh, it's called Not to Know But to Go On. And it's in an exhibition called 3D Expressions. And it's 220 feet long and 13 inches wide. But it does look like a long, long, long rag rug. Do you know the piece I'm talking <laughs> about? 
Yes, I do, actually. That was the piece that I was thinking about when I asked the question. And I'm really curious as to what was the inspiration for creating the piece and what's inspired you to make something that was that long? Like, what was the the meaning behind it? Yeah. I didn't really know it was going to be that long. Um, I... And I really didn't know it was going to look like a rug so much, but I really liked the idea of couching fabrics that I had saved over my life to artist canvas uh, in a way that would document time. Because I was going to turn 60, and uh, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm turning 60, I'm turning old, I have to make a record of this last year of youth. So on my 59th birthday, I began to use fabrics from my big collection because, as I told you, I was a quilt maker first, and uh, and uh, clothing that I had saved that I loved, and I just cut them into strips. And then this is how I marked each day was with, and I used up an entire skein of cotton embroidery floss, like just the kind that you can buy in in your local store. Everybody has some, uh, you know, it's a, a DMC brand and Anchor brand. They're just, they're 99 cents each, I think. And so a whole skein of that. I didn't uh, divide it into any, I used all six strands and used it all up and that was one day. And it took me about 45 minutes to an hour to just couch the thread, couch the fabrics, wrap these fabrics with that thread to the canvas. And then that was, that was that day done. And so then I would go on to the next day, the next day, and just use up the cloth that was in my baskets. But each day was a different color. And the thing that made it fun for me was that I would buy all this thread at the local store, like in lots of 90 or 100 skeins at a time. And so there's $100, right? And so I would go to all these colors, put them in a basket where I couldn't see them, and then put my hand in and pull one out and say, oh, pink, and I'm working with brown cloth. Oh, well, and I would just go with it, and it was always beautiful. The pink and the brown looked just as good as the golden color and the brown, and then the black and the brown, until I ran out of brown cloth. But so to see where the days go by, you have to turn the work over and see the back, and then you see each day is one color. Um, They're 13 inches wide. I would work in my lap with a little panel 13 inches wide by 20, 20 or 22 inches long. So it could easily be held in my lap, and I would get about 20 days on that, or maybe 14 days, I forget now, because then I sewed them all together into that long timeline. I kept going from my 59th birthday till my 62nd birthday, like right through 59, right through 60, right through 61. So that's three entire years. That's a thousand, a thousand dollars at least worth of thread. <laughs> anyway, so that's some of it. Is it, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, and it sounds beautiful. Well, it looks like a, it looks like a rug, and I'm really pleased that it looks so much like a Finnish rag rug because we went to Finland in 2013 when I was finished it, and I saw how narrow some of the rugs that are in the homes in Finland are. And I didn't realize they were only 13 inches wide, some of them, you know, 16 inches wide, because they put them down their hallways. And they're mm. beautiful. They're so long and narrow. And 
And see, my father came from Finland when he was five years old. So it's really part of my, my, I don't know, my ethnic, my, my Finnish heritage to make something that resembles a Finnish rug without even really thinking about it. I just, it just came out of me. Hmm. That's really beautiful. I'm also really interested in talking about some of your more recent works. I know that you have newer works, which we'll get into in a second, but I'm also really interested in some of the pieces that you've created. For instance, All Things Mended and Be Emptier. It looks like those are mixed media works that use painting and hand stitching as well as paper. I'm kind of interested in how you created those pieces, what inspired them, and just, you know, if you can talk more about that process of making as well. Sure. Yeah, well, I um, I have so many ideas for large pieces. And when I make my large pieces, I mean, they're 90 inches square, they're 100 inches square, and they're, they're big enough, as I said, to cover a queen-size bed. But they take a long time to make. And so I thought, I have so many ideas. I think I have more ideas than I can possibly make in my lifetime. So I started painting some of those ideas onto smaller pieces of paper with watercolor paint. So I, I square a piece of paper and I paint, painted my, my design, which is very simple uh, quilt designs. But you can see they're just mainly circles. Uh, on pieces of paper and um, about 13 inches square. And then after I did those paintings with with watercolor, I pierced them. Some of them have holes in them and some of them are stitched. And then they're framed under glass. So that's the background of, of those pieces. The title, All Things Can Be Mended and Be Emptier, are, are the ones you referred to. My art career started as a painter, actually, because I have four children, and um, I photographed them a lot when they were babies, when they were playing in the sunshine. And then I, because I didn't, I would sketch them from life, but I couldn't paint them. I had to use photographs to get the, the light the right way. And I painted and painted and painted my children. And lots of people like to buy them. Most of them are in private collections. But um, I really enjoy painting them, but I don't do the painting anymore. I'm not inspired to paint figures anymore now that my own children have grown. But if you're interested in seeing some of those early paintings, they are on my website. There's a gallery of, of paintings from when I was a, a mom, <laughs> a younger mom, still a mom. Absolutely. I'm sure we'd love to see um, the progression of artwork and this might be a kind of difficult question to answer, but, you know, I'm an artist as well. I'm mixed media. So I work with a lot of different mediums. And just as you were expressing how you kind of were compelled at one point to paint and then you don't feel as compelled as you used to, I'm really interested if you noticed anything that could have sparked the change what compelled you to go from quilting to creating the pieces you were just speaking about that incorporate your paintings to creating stitch pieces and to allow your pieces to kind of live in different forms like what would you say are some of the things that influence that change hmm that is a difficult question 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, because I still would like to paint and I still Mm. would like to do some collages. In fact, I was, I bought myself some of those wooden cradled panels and I wanted to make some, some kind of, some kind of mixed media work. But this, this pandemic has really taken a lot out of that creativity for me. I, I, and so I, I'm blaming why I didn't move ahead on that, on just the heavy emotions that are going on right now. Um, but generally, uh, I took up the quilt making because I could be interrupted. As the children grew up, they became, you know, teenagers and, and I didn't want to, to use them as my models. I felt I, it was too, they were, I wanted them to have more privacy. And um, so I stopped painting my children and the, the quilting I could, I could, I don't know, it was very comforting for me. And also I used it to tell stories. And now it's evolved into this inner world that I want to talk about, how beautiful and nurturing it is. And I, I do feel the sense of touch is the best way to get there. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question about changing back and forth between the medium. I. I, I don't, I will say that I don't, I don't sweat about it anymore. I just do what I feel like. I trust myself. Um, most of my work is in textiles right now. I just, I just, um, okay, here's what I do. I figured it out. I have a journal, right? I keep a journal and I, oh, it's one of my rituals is to write in my journal, to sketch in my journal, to, witness my family life in my journal and and so then I reread the journals and I get so inspired by some little thing and it doesn't necessarily have to be a quilt it could be a painting or a stitching but I don't know I don't know if I can answer that question what what how would you answer that question (laughs) how why do we change from one media to another we don't grow out of them really they're always there yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I have to say, I definitely asked that question because it's something that comes up in my own practice a lot. And I'm curious yeah. of how other artists are able to deal with it. Are you saying that you were, you're, you're blocked in, in one area and you can't work in it? Or do you just wonder about, you know, tell me what more? Yeah. yeah I mean, I guess I would say for me, because farming is such a huge part of my practice, Mm -hmm. um, I found myself last year focusing on farming and didn't really gravitate towards making anything outside of being concerned with the health of my plants. For me, that was my creative outlet in that moment. And so now this year, I found myself more interested in creating things based off of the things that I grew last year, as opposed to focusing on growing. And it's interesting to me that shift, and I'm not sure if it's... um, I, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, so I'm not sure if it's more of a spiritual, un- universal influence where it's just like you are inspired by this at this particular moment because this is what the world is and the space that the world is creating at that moment. And now the world is in a different space and this is what you're called to create. And so it can be a little bit, I guess, frustrating when I don't have the patience with myself to understand 
this thing that you're doing right now is not necessarily what you might be doing another moment but what you are doing at that particular moment is is what you are called to do and it's good enough and follow your intuition and and make what is what you are being called to yeah and I think also what you know really inspires me about artists like you and, and the work that you create is there's something very intimate and very spiritual there's something very deep about the work that you create And for me, when making art, sometimes in the art world, when it comes to art galleries and museums, that spirituality sometimes is lost. And so I guess I'm just, you know, really interested in just that balance of of becoming an artist and, and balancing the work and how it is an outlet for you, but also it is something that you are able to bring to an audience for people to also experience as well. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Um, about trusting that what you're making now is what you're supposed to be making. One of my favorite guiding artists is Agnes Martin. And, and I think she said something almost identical to that. She said, your next step is your next step. You know, just keep keep going. Um, about the pandemic, I, I I don't know if you want to talk about it, but it's it's had such a big effect on on a lot of artists' creativity. Like mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram and on my feed, so many artists are saying, "I can't do anything. I'm in a I'm in a rut, or I'm only able to do this." Or and other people are saying, "I'm so glad to have the time. I'm able to finish my novel." But it's it's affecting everybody in a different way, and uh, for me, I I was really um, knocked out at the beginning of it by the unreality of so many people dying. I and and just happening so quickly. So uh, I I I have gone through six weeks of it of isolation as the whole world has and. And it's been a really interesting process as I've allowed my artwork to heal me. Like you were saying about art and how intimate it can be and how spiritual it can be and not to worry about whether it's really going to be in a museum or not. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's really, it does communicate. I don't know if I would make my work if I didn't think it was going to communicate with others, but I also make it for myself as a, I don't know if it's a healing thing, but it does heal me. So at the beginning, I, I completed two large pieces that were nearly finished. I finished them up. And so that involved a lot of stitching. Stitchy, stitch, stitch, stitchy. And as I told you, when I stitch, I feel better. It really soothed me just to sit there and stitch for two weeks and get those two pieces done. And then I made this ugly piece such an ugly piece because I'm thinking about the things that happen in bed and one of the things that happen in bed is you die there so I made a piece about death and it took a couple of weeks but it was very cathartic and I felt so much better after making this piece using old funeral clothes and an old blanket and it's not very gorgeous but it got it out of me this fear I had of dying you know I mean we're all going to die but I was really it was really gripping me and then the last project I just finished is mending an old uh, 
an old tattered whole cloth quilt that had been given to me and it was so so wrecked that the fabric was falling apart and the batting was coming out of it you know in holes and it was white with blue stitching and it was a beautiful whole cloth pattern you know those patterns that, that take over the whole quilt and mm. to mend it I, I put new batting on one layer of it and then they look like bandages these silk and rayon cloths uh, on, over the batting and then just stitched through it so I didn't really fix it I just bandaged it I didn't mend it I just bandaged it but still putting those bandages on that wrecked world uh, did help me a lot again I, I, and so now finally after those two new pieces which I don't usually take only two weeks to make a piece they, they just sort of were they were therapy <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm excited to start again, and I've made and started a new piece called New Beginning. And because you know maybe we just have to start all over, like Tracy Chapman says, and and have a new beginning. Anyway. Mm. Wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I really, really appreciate your wisdom where you where you're coming from and and you sharing with me it really does it means a lot to me i really appreciate it um did you have any new works that you wanted to talk about specifically i i am working on an ex some exhibitions and i'm i'm trying to get work that makes sense with each of the exhibitions or they each have a different slant. It's very nice to be in demand like this and be asked to have these exhibitions. But I have, I found that I have to just not think about them too hard and just make what comes out of me and then, then finish it. You know, once I figure this will be good for that exhibition, I finish that one up and I put it in that pile, you know. So I, I am, I am pretty busy in 2021. And so this year is my year for making, as you said before. There's some years that, when you're not making, uh, you, maybe you're dying. Like, like to die for me takes, takes four months. Like I harvest it. I just use wildflowers. I, I harvest and then I have to process and then I have to take care of that fabric and then I have to design with it. So it's a, it that you do certain things like you were saying about your gardening and your farming and then other times you have time to make and other times you have time to stitch. And other times you have time to look at the sky. Just look at the sky. That's what Vincent van Gogh told us to do. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Would you say that Vincent van Gogh is, is also an artist inspiration for your work? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So much. Like I can, that. you know, when you said Vincent van Gogh, I thought of uh, Starry Night and I thought about your, some yeah. of your pieces and the yeah. horizons yeah. and things. And so, yeah, yeah, I can absolutely see the influence. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you today. And Thanks. I, great. <laughs> yeah, where can people go on social media and the internet oh, to yeah. follow your work or to potentially see one of these exhibitions coming up? Yeah. I am on social media. Yeah, I have. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, uh, Judith E. Martin, and on Facebook. I have a Facebook. I don't have a Facebook page. I have a you know a normal Facebook where you become friends with me. 
and I put my work there. But the main, and I have two websites. I have a new website and an old website because the new one still has to be tweaked a lot. But it, both of them are kind of like archives of my work. But I think the best place to see my work is my blog, Judy's Journal, which I've been keeping since 2006. And on that blog, I'm able to write about what I'm thinking about my work and my life. And, and I write about things I've read. And, and so it's pretty, I keep it now once a week. I try and write once a week in that blog. And although hardly anybody reads blogs anymore, I still write, I still write once a week. And mm. the thing that makes it a good place to go to is because it has a lot of tabs. If you go on your laptop instead of your phone, on your phone, it doesn't come up, but if you see the, the web version, there's an upper bar and there's a lot of links to other blogs that I keep. And one of them has new work. So you can go new work or you can go to updates, which is my, where my exhibitions are going on at the time. Or you can go to this other blog I write called Modernist Aesthetic, which is about other artists that, that inspire me. And then there's mm. also an interesting one called My Process. And that is a very raw blog uh, in which I just take a photo of my design wall and write the very last thing that I had written in my journal. You know, And sometimes they go together and sometimes they don't. But it's just interesting to see how I'm thinking and what I'm looking at as I'm thinking. So I find that process blog um, very revealing, but very interesting as an artist to, to see how you think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Julie's Journal is my blog, and that's the best one to go to. It has links to all the other social media on it. Yeah, I, I have a Pinterest board as well, but I don't, I and I go to it, but I wouldn't, I mean, you can go there, but... I'm on Pinterest, but I'm, I don't know. Yeah, there's, I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will make sure to link all of those on the website okay. so people can yeah. find you. Sure. Um, so before you go, we have one question that we ask everyone that joins the podcast, and it's how we oh. close out our interviews. Yeah. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Um, well, I think we've talked about it already in a way is that trust, mm. trust yourself, trust your own self, trust your body to tell you whether you're on the right track about what you're doing and don't give up. It's the title of that piece, not to know, but to go on, you know, just keep going. And that's, a, that's from a poem that Agnes Martin wrote, my favorite, one of my favorite artists. She wrote a um, I think something about to try to understand is to court misunderstanding, not to know, but to go on. Yeah. She also said, be defeated, carry on. And I have that pinned to my wall. Because so, so often you, you get, you feel, oh, I'm on the wrong track. But I guess that's the main thing I'd say. Keep going. Wow, amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was really delightful. Thanks for asking me. That's a wrap. If you're interested in seeing more of Judy's work, you can find links in the show notes at www.jisyon.com slash episode dash 108.
Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode. And until next time, happy weaving. Thank you.